Sunday, March 3rd, 2024. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. In just a few days, 15 states and one territory hold primary elections on what is called Super Tuesday. And while former President Trump will look for continuous victories, Nikki Haley will work to make the margins as tight as she can. This is not necessarily a unified Republican Party. And in a normal set of circumstances, a front runner would want to try to unite the party. But Donald Trump is not your usual candidate in a whole bunch of different ways. I'm Tanya J. Powers. President Biden will deliver his annual State of the Union address on Thursday evening, touting his accomplishments to millions of potential voters during a high-stakes election year. My hope is that you get a thorough review of the accomplishments of the last year, what the Biden administration has been able to deliver, um, but with a strong emphasis on the work isn't done, right? Finish the job. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. It's Super Tuesday in a few days. 15 states and one territory will hold their primaries, and the results from Iowa's multi-week-long Democratic vote by mail will be revealed. While Biden is favored as the incumbent to easily win the Democratic primaries, former President Trump has had a relatively easy go of it in the Republican primaries thus far, racking up wins in six states. Though his former ambassador to the U.N. and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has stayed in the race, saying after her loss in her home state... I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. Then in Michigan, Trump trounced, winning 68% of the vote to Haley's 26.5%. He called in to a Michigan election night watch party supporting him. We're going to make America great again, greater than ever before. And I just want to thank everybody. You've been incredible. And I'm so proud of the results because they're far greater than anticipated. After Michigan, Haley told Fox's Martha McCallum on the story that she has no intention of running, for example, on a unity ticket courtesy of the centrist No Labels political group, which has said it will make a decision next week about whether to move forward. I have not talked to any other organization. I have not put a second or of thought into an independent run because I'm a Republican. That's what I've always been. I've been a conservative Republican my whole life. I'm not going to switch over and have a Democrat vice vice president. That's not something I would do. Super Tuesday will see many of the delegates allocated. One needs 1,215 to clinch the nomination. Super Tuesday offers 874 delegates. And so far, the former president's racked up 122. Haley's got 24. And in Super Tuesday states, Trump far outpolls Haley. In Texas, for example, he's at 82% to her 12%. It's 77% to her 15.5% in Colorado. And in Virginia, it's nearly 80% to 16.5%. Traditionally, Super Tuesday is when the nomination pretty much gets locked up. Jim Garrity is a senior political correspondent at National Review and a contributing columnist at The Washington Post. Uh, I think it's safe to say that with Donald Trump having won all of the primaries so far, he is extremely well ahead and barring some meteorite strike or health crisis or, or some other really unexpected black swan scenario, uh, he's going to be the nominee. Now, the interesting question has been, you know, and pretty much since DeSantis dropped out after Iowa, it looked like Trump was extremely likely to be the nominee. But Haley's done reasonably well in New Hampshire and, you know, 40 percent in uh, South Carolina, her home state. Uh, not great, but, you know, you, she represents anywhere from about 30 percent we saw in Michigan to probably in somewhere 40 some percent of the party 
that is not comfortable with Donald Trump, that does not want to nominate him for what would be a third time, um, that, you know, for whatever, re- whether it's reasons of January 6th or the stolen election claims or just the general erratic circus that goes with him, there's a chunk of the party that wants to go in a different direction. The bad news for Nikki Haley is that it's not a majority so far anywhere, and it may well not be a majority in any state, maybe in the District of Columbia. But nonetheless, like that's that's not nothing. And ordinarily, this is the sort of thing you'd want to win as get as many delegates as possible and head into the election and get some sort of consolation prize. Jim, what about that? Because in Michigan, Trump won. Right. And he beat Haley by a lot. And we've heard that in most states, right, other than New Hampshire. But the Wall Street Journal wrote after the Michigan win that Trump won with only a little more than two thirds of the vote in a primary and that polls and surveys had predicted him doing far better than that. Um, Haley, just like you've noted, has said that as well. When you look at the amount by which Trump won in Iowa or New Hampshire, it's signaled that there are plenty of Republicans who do want someone else. But at the end of the day, in a primary, how much does that matter? Like, how much should we be paying attention to those margins of victory on Tuesday? The big picture, it's not going to change a ton, but I would note that in a normal presidential election in primary environment, usually the front runner, when they were underperforming a bit and wanted to unify the party, would want to figure out, okay, how do I get that candidate's, you know, supporters to jump on board? And in like I said, in an ordinary political environment, the front runner might look at the runner up and say, Hey, why don't I make you my running mate? We'll unite the party and we'll all go on to great victory in November. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's pretty clear that Donald Donald Trump has said publicly he's not interested in having Nikki Haley as his running mate. Haley has been pretty tough on Trump. Uh, for a while, there was a stretch where she was not outright denying it. I think it's safe to say they've uh, the, the bad blood between the two is probably too much to overcome. Um, so, and you know, we've seen her. She was the the you know uh, ambassador to the United Nations under the first Trump administration. I don't think she'd necessarily be interested in any other cabinet appointment or any other gig right. in a second Trump administration. Um, where I think she, you know, so I, I'm not sure if there's a clear sense of what exactly Nikki Haley expects to get out of this. But when you do have, as I said, anywhere from 30 to 40 percent of the party, usually you'd get a primetime speaking gig at the convention. Usually that would be a sign that you have some future in the party. Now, I don't know if this is also kind of a glaring warning sign, I think, to the Trump general election campaign, that there are Republicans out there uh, who are not certain to vote for Trump in a general election and that his numbers amongst independents. And yes, there have been some crossover votes in places like New Hampshire and South Carolina. Um, I don't think you can dismiss Nikki Haley's numbers so far as just being crossover votes and not something that Trump needs to worry about. And also, by the way, traditionally, You'd like to have some independent votes. You'd like to have some crossover votes as you head into a general election. So I, I think that you know the Wall Street Journal editorial board is correct that there's something there's an ominous rattle in the engine that we're seeing in the Trump numbers so far. Look, he's winning. He's he's got you know at this point 120, 22 delegates, and she's got 24. He's going to be the nominee, um, but this is not necessarily a unified Republican Party. And in a normal set of circumstances, a front runner would want to try to unite the party. But Donald Trump is not your usual candidate in a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. Well, we do know there are places, I mean, a lot of places uh, this Super Tuesday holding contests. Alabama, Arkansas, Minnesota, Texas, Vermont, and Virginia have open primaries. But even places like Colorado, Maine, and Massachusetts, they're not open per se, but unaffiliated and independent voters, to your point, they, they can choose whichever ballot they want. Given that there are so many Super Tuesday votes that are open to some degree, does that 
bode well for for Nikki Haley or have we seen enough like <laughs> have we you know has as they yeah. as they say has he seen enough is it sort of in the bag as you've already sort of indicated it probably is um only worth a couple percentage points but i'm sure if you're Nikki Haley every little bit helps and yeah. you know the vote of an independent doesn't you know it counts as much as a republican particularly in the general election so it's not like you want to say oh pish posh we don't need to worry about those folks. Um, I, I would note, though, that one of the things that makes Super Tuesday a bit more challenging and why you usually see a front runner uh, solidify their lead on on this is that it's, you know, th- there's always some candidate who thinks that they can win the nomination through retail uh, politicking and campaigning. And that usually means shaking hands in diners and places like Des Moines, Iowa and Manchester, New Hampshire. Well, at some point you stop having one you know state per week or one state per you know, in a period. And you got to scale up. You have to compete in, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14 states at a time. And you just can't. The only way you can do that, your candidate can only be in one place at a time. And you need TV ads. And uh, Haley's got a decent funding for a a second place candidate. But I think this is where it will probably catch up to her. But again, the number of Republicans and and independents who aren't comfortable with Trump so far has been around 30 percent as a floor I think you'll probably see a lot of that on Super Tuesday. And so she'll come out of this with a a decent chunk of delegates. Not enough to really challenge Trump for the nomination, but it's a better consolation prize than a version of our home game, so to speak. (laughs) Let's talk about um, some of the states. I wonder if one of the more interesting states to watch Tuesday, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, will be North Carolina. Um, If we're looking for tea leaves, like to see the margins, Trump only beat Biden by a little more than a point in 2020. He beat Clinton by three and a half points in 2016. I I wonder if there's interest not only in the margin between Trump and Haley, but how many Democrats bother to take the time to vote for Biden? Like, is that of interest? And will people be looking at those numbers? I know people will be shocked that there is not enormous interest in the Democratic primary. All those (laughs) Dean Phillips listeners out there who are diehard Dean Phillips fans. But um, yeah, the other thing that Haley has going for her is that Democrats, they may have all kinds of misgivings about Biden. They may tell pollsters that he's old. But so far, there's been no sign that they're willing to unite behind uh, Phillips or or Marianne Williamson apparently jumped back in um, in a demonstration of how decisive she is. And, and, you know, look, so the Democrats be like, eh, I can either vote for Biden in a primary where I already know where it's going to be, or I can make this gesture of, of opposition to Trump by voting for Nikki Haley. And I think you'll see that in a bunch of those states. North Carolina is interesting. The Biden campaign is convinced that they're going to make this competitive state in, uh, 2024. It was close in 2020, but I would note that Republicans tend to win. They were, they have a democratic governor. They, they, you know, Democrats, John Edwards, you know, they they can win every once in a while. Um, but this is this is a generally a red state. I would be very surprised. And I also see like, you know, from what I'm hearing about Georgia, uh, it was, you know, Biden won very narrowly last time. I don't know if you'd say 2020 was ideal circumstances for Joe Biden, but I think it's safe to say that Joe Biden is less popular today than he was back in mm. 2020. And I think, you know, of all the ones that were narrow, you know, uh, Biden wins last time. I think Georgia looks like one that's most likely to flip. So I, it was, but the other thing we should keep keeping an eye on is the just total number of turnout in these primaries. Um, are Republicans exactly. fired up and enthused or is there, you know, Iowa had the caucuses had a, a, a significant drop. Now, caucuses are a little bit okay, different. But than I primaries was there and, and it was yeah. negative eight. <laughs> yeah. Terrible weather. Uh, I was there the week before. Apparently the snowiest week they'd had in Iowa in 40 years. <laughs> They saved it all up for when I was arriving. Um, so <laughs> there's reasons to think, okay, maybe you, maybe you toss that one out. 
as an outlier. Um, but I, I think, look, there's, um, it, it'll be interesting. The other thing which I, I've, it's been on my mind, uh, I'm a resident of the state of Virginia. Uh, yes, I was just going to ask about Virginia. Right. Okay. Yes. Sure. Um, so last time around, you may when I say last time around, 2016, not 2020, when it was actually a, a fairly competitive Republican primary well into the contest. Um, this was, I believe, if not the first state, it was you know, the first really big state that Marco Rubio had won. I think he might have won Minnesota as well. But in other words, it was a, you know, there's it's a little bit of an outlier. Northern Virginia is a, people think of it as being heavily Democratic. Now, you look back at the uh, governor's races, Bob McDonald, most recently with Glenn Youngkin. A Republican can either, if they don't win Northern Virginia, they can like keep it close and then you right. clean up in Southern Virginia. So if Nikki Haley is running for more of a white collar, professional, old fashioned uh, Mitt Romney button down, you know, establishment Republican, Northern Virginia is where, where you're going to find those. So I kind of wonder if Virginia is one of her better shots. Again, it would not surprise me if Nikki Haley did not win any states in this primary. And I believe that somebody said the RNC has rules where you got to win at least five states to be the nominee. So at some point, like it's not just this one, she's got to find other ones to have a serious shot at being the nominee. Right. Whether or not her campaign wants to admit she's running a, a protest campaign, that's kind of what she's doing right now. But as far as I'm concerned, that's fine because as noted, there's about a third of the party that wants to vote for somebody not named Donald Trump. Okay. So then to that point and to wrap things up, after her after her South Carolina speech, she lost, right? And then she said, but I'm not going anywhere. And I heard some pundits say, oh, that sounds like a no-label speech. You know, that sounds like she's sticking in no matter what. And she told our own Martha McCallum, I'm not interested in a uni unity ticket. I'm not going to have a Democrat as my vice president. I'm a Republican. But what is the, should we be on the lookout for her to make some sort of path for herself Beyond Super Tuesday, I know No Labels has said mm -hmm. we'll we'll figure things out after Super Tuesday, right? That's that was their sort of yeah. marker of time time limit, their benchmark. So what ha I guess what happens after Super Tuesday, or I, I I imagine it depends. But if if things seem like re a relatively a foregone conclusion here, um, then what do you what do you think is going to happen after Super Tuesday? Whether it's No Labels, Nikki Haley's path, and Trump mm. being in court. I'm glad you asked about that, um, because, as you know, noted, No Labels seems very interested in Nikki Haley. Um, the other names that have been mentioned around, Joe Manchin says he's not interested in running for president in 2024, the Democratic senator from West Virginia. Now, he, I suppose he could change his mind on that, but he seemed pretty definitive in that. Uh, Larry Hogan, the former Republican governor of Maryland, uh, a lot of people had been talking about him being a potential part of, of a No Labels ticket. He's running for Senate in his home state yes. of Maryland, so he's off the list. So you look at all that and you're like, OK, well, Nikki Haley might be one of the certainly she's got name recognition. Certainly she's demonstrated she can get people to vote for her in, you know, not winning numbers, but significant numbers in these primaries. And she would make a, a you know, uh, attractive prospect for no labels if they want to be you know seen as a serious player in the 2024 election. But there is a challenge. One of the problems is that there are several states that have a what they call sore loser laws in which if you lost a primary for a major party, you're not allowed to run as an independent or as the nominee of another party. Uh, some of these states are really big, meaty ones where you'd expect to be, you know, a lot of competition. Michigan is one of them. Uh, and also, I, you know, we talked about this a bit earlier. One of them is her home state of South Carolina. <laughs> and the other one is her uh, Georgia, which I mentioned. Like th These are big states you'd usually like to compete in. 
Now, I, I, there are some people who argue that these sore loser laws are unconstitutional because the Constitution lays out what the criteria is to be president and that states can't put on additional ah. criteria. So I imagine people would want the Supreme Court to weigh in on that quickly. So this is a little bit of an X factor. The If you're no labels, on the one hand, you've got Nikki Haley with this high name recognition and proven ability and a fan base and all that. But on the flip side, do you want to compete in just 42 states instead of 50 because of these state laws that would theoretically bar her for running as a, a no labels candidate? So it'll be interesting. I, I'll be keeping an eye on that as well. I, the other thing which is worth noting is that if, you know, it's one thing for Nikki Haley to say, I don't want to do that. It's another thing when you're actually offered and with no labels says, hey, we've actually gotten on the ballot in a whole bunch of places. We're willing to finance a serious independent, you know, third party bid for you. It's another thing to turn that down. So we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, I think it's not the last. We have not heard the last word on this subject. Is it only 14 states, though, that they've qualified for no no labels th thus far? It's not. It's not. Yeah, states, but I remember right? Perot jumped in late and, and managed to get on the ballot in, I think, just about all 50 states. So conceivably, I think they can do this. I mean, RFK is also getting on a bunch of them. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. But I believe, by the way, some of the states they've gotten on are the states that they would um, the, the states where they are on the ballot are states where there are also sore loser laws. So an interesting <laughs> question is you put all that effort to get on the ballot and then you nominate somebody who's ineligible. I think that would be a, a perfect irony, I suppose. Interesting. Jim Garrity, senior political correspondent at the National Review and a contributing columnist at Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining. Always enjoy it, Jessica. Thank you. President Biden will deliver his annual State of the Union address on Thursday evening, where he's expected to touch on a range of topics, including infrastructure accomplishments and getting rid of junk fees. But President Biden's team is hoping to turn the primetime event into a message to voters, showing them why he is the right and stable choice for the country. As recent polls have shown, many voters are concerned about the current president's age, and critics of the president are anticipating an uphill battle for the commander-in-chief as he faces multiple issues, including a crisis at the southern border, the ongoing war in Ukraine, and the complicated aid package yet to pass for allies in Israel. The speech will be delivered two days after Super Tuesday, during a high-stakes election year. So, what can voters expect from President Biden's address? My hope is that you get a thorough review of the accomplishments of the last year, what the Biden administration has been able to deliver, um, but with a strong emphasis on the work isn't done, right? Finish the job is the kind of tagline with all of this. Um, and we'll see how much they use that going into the campaign. But for now, we're working with finish the job. Jessica Tarlov is a Democratic strategist and co-host of The Five. And there is still a lot more work to do. Um, I think specifically the president will focus on the economy and what has been accomplished, what is yet to come, especially as a lot of his big policies that he was able to get passed um, come into play, what the Inflation Reduction Act is getting you, what the American Rescue Act has been getting you uh, for the average American. And then my expectation, building off of his trip to the border, is that there will be a discussion about the bipartisan border deal, how it's imperative that we pass it, um, and how important that issue is um, to Americans left, right, and center. Um, so those are kind of the buckets, the the economy stuff that he'll really want to focus on, um, and then the stuff that he wants to focus on a little bit less with what's going on with illegal immigration, but is a must, um, plus the usual tones of 
we've got to keep democracy alive. And then, of course, reproductive rights, uh, which has been a focal point for Democrats um, and has really juiced turnout uh, every time it's been on the ballot since the Dobbs decision. Oh, absolutely. Um, you mentioned some of the you know past accomplishments that his White House has had. That d- the messaging for a lot of this does not seem to be sticking with the general public Ew. at all. <laughs> How is he going to break through and go, no, no, we've really done some stuff, y'all? Yeah, I think, well, in general, um, the economy usually takes six months to a year for people to actually start feeling good about it. That's just kind of a historical trend with all of this. And you are seeing an uptick in optimism about people's finances for the next year. We know about the consumer sentiment uh, index shooting up, I think, by the highest percentage since 2005, which is obviously a big deal. Um, But I think that the administration really needs to focus on talking about individual policy rather than the fancy name for all of it, right? Like Bidenomics was a bit of a failure, right, as a term. And they have shied away from using it now. And now they're talking about practical things like Medicare recipients. Now their insulin is $35 a month. They want to expand that to everyone. Republicans had blocked that. The Biden administration says we've got to do that. Talk about access to rural broadband. That's a huge deal. Talk about the brass tacks of what the infrastructure deal has gotten people like, are your roads better? Are your airports better? Manufacturing jobs. I was at a chips factory. This is not me. I'm being the president now, but you know, saying I was at a chips factory um, in Texas. These are the amount of jobs that we brought bought, brought to X community. Um, so kind of making it discernible little pieces versus these kind of big umbrella terms like IRA. That's not going to work for people as well as, you know, your prescription drugs cost less because of Democrats. One of the, a couple of the other things that uh, I expected, and I want to get your take on this, is, of course, the situation with Russia and Ukraine, the invasion yeah. of Ukraine, uh, just passed its two-year anniversary, as well as the war in Gaza. And we just, you know, we've learned that he said the, the U.S. is going to start airdropping humanitarian aid into Gaza. Uh, that is obviously a huge topic. What do you expect him to say on those two fronts? Um, well, I assume that he will talk about um, Alexei Navalny again. Um, absolutely incredible to see millions uh, risking God knows what kind of punishment from the Russian government to come out um, and to see the casket drive by. Um, I'm, so he'll talk about that again. He'll talk about how important this aid is and that Democrats are waiting to sign you know, whatever deal can be brought to them. I don't think because it's the State of the Union that it will be as antagonistic as you know, a regular day where he'll call people out by name, right, and say Speaker Johnson said he'd do this, but he hasn't been able to because, you know, Matt Gates is a lunatic or whatever he's going to say. Um, but he will definitely make it clear that these fights for democratic countries, and that will include Israel as well, um, are important to us and to our safety and to the safety of NATO countries. Talk about what a deal, a big deal It is with Sweden passing that final hurdle going through Hungary uh, to be able to join. Um, And then I do expect on the Israel front that he will talk about uh, what's going on in Gaza and make a plea not only to return the hostages, um, but for us to be cognizant of the humanitarian disaster that's going on there. So preserving democracy, bringing the hostages home, um, but also you know, kind of highlighting that things are a little bit different than they were back in November, December 
I don't think he'll call out uh, Netanyahu by name in any way, but that there will be an implication that things have gotten kind of out of control there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the pressure that is now on, on of course, the president uh, for ceasefire, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you if you've watched any of the of the footage of, of protests, there have been so many of them that have really, you know, kind of kept the pressure up. And as well as the uh, in the Michigan primary just a few days ago, we saw, you know, with mm-hmm. the uncommitted uh, voters trying to send a message to him, you know, about how they feel about his policies there. Totally. I mean, I happen to think that the Michigan primary uh, was not that big of a deal in terms of Biden's campaign or his electability come November 5th. There's always, you know, Obama got a 10 percent uncommitted vote uh, in 2012. This was also much higher turnout. Um, I think it netted out at about 13 percent, right, was the the total. Um, So, I think people will come home ultimately, especially when the candidate on the other side is someone who uh, would reinstate a Muslim ban. But it's definitely something that's top of mind for the administration. Uh, no doubt about that. For those of us who got our State of the Union knowledge from uh, West Wing reruns, talk, <laughs> talk to me a little about what goes into creating this speech? This is a usually a long speech. Um, right. It is. It is about an hour. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's comprehensive. There's a lot, as we've already talked about, there's a lot of different things that are probably going to get packed into this. This is not something they started writing yesterday. No, uh, no, definitely not. I mean, the last few days is obviously like trying to go at warp speed, right? And to integrate everything that's current. Um, but no, it's a long process and it builds off of themes that you've seen show up throughout the campaign. Um, and that's why you particularly want to highlight, uh, protecting democratic norms, protecting freedoms and stuff like that. But, uh, this has been in the works for a long time, um, as with any other presidency and he'll just, uh, be doing the tweaks on the last final days for whatever is particularly relevant for the moment. You mentioned, okay, you mentioned the campaign. This is, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, a message to the country where where he, as it always has been, you know, lets everybody know, hey, here's how we're doing. This is what's going on. Um, how much of this is a campaign speech as well? He is an incumbent, so he doesn't have, you know, tons of, of you know, formidable challenger, challengers or anything. But you know, how much of this is going to be, you know, the State of the Union as to how things have been going versus here's another reason why you should vote for me? I think that it's always implicit in it. I mean, people generally don't like it when you use the State of the Union to campaign. Um, and obviously there are resources issues with that as well, right? Campaign employees are different from the folks that work within the White House. Um, but it is always the template for what the campaign is going to look like. And there have been a lot of accusations that the Biden team has been very slow to launch a full-scale campaign. And so this is an opportunity to kind of juice that up as well, to show him being presidential, to show him being coherent for an hour. Remember, it's it's always the time where even Republicans have to admit that Biden seemed better than they expected. Because this is also his element. He's with his people, a lot of them he's served with for decades. He's shaking hands, kissing a baby if there's a baby there. I remember uh, Congressman Mike Garcia had his baby and Biden was all over that. Uh, That was two State of the Unions ago or, or at a joint session of Congress. So I think it will be particularly meaningful for a president 
where everyone is paying attention to his mental acuity, his competency, his ability to deliver something like this. And that's for Democrats and Republicans alike. I'm sure this is a, a, a tall order, no matter who you are, if you're in charge of writing this, the State of the Union, uh, if you're you yep. know one of the communications yeah. persons or the person writing it or the whoever. Uh, but how tough a sell is this to get across to the American people with poll numbers, job approval numbers that we've we've recently seen for the president? It's really weird because I don't feel like Biden's numbers necessarily mean as much as they have for former presidents. Um, Some of them we just haven't seen before, right? Like his disapproval has gone higher than, I don't know, five, five or six, like going back to Jimmy Carter, which is obviously not a good thing. And there has been a slew of polling Um, specifically in swing states that shows that Biden is in not as good position, certainly as he was going into 2020. Um, But then you also, on the other hand, see how amazingly successful Democrats have been in the Biden era. And I understand that it's not Biden's name on the ticket, and that makes a big difference, just like it will when people show up and they see Donald J. Trump, right, written on the ballot. But these people, these other Democrats are running on the Biden record. They are touting the accomplishments of this administration. They are talking about the values of this administration and of this president. And so I do consider him to be a bit further ahead than looking at the real clear politics average would necessarily indicate. It's always interesting to me uh, to watch the State of the Union, not just for the speech, but for the reactions. And we're going to get to that in just a second, uh, but also for the guests, because it's it's always I think it's interesting to see who they decide to to bring in to help, I guess, yeah. highlight parts of the speech. Right. Any idea who who we expect uh, to to be one of the guests for this? Um, I know that or at least it was rumored. I, I'm not sure if it's confirmed. Um, Kate Cox, um, a woman who wasn't able to get the abortion care that she needed in Texas um, is one of the guests. I imagine that there will be. Um, someone there working with the undocumented community, probably both on the NGO side and then potentially, which would be something that I think quite helpful, um, someone who has been negatively affected by the migrant crisis. Um, we had the terrible tragedy of the University of Georgia student who was murdered um, last week by an undocumented man from Venezuela who was released um, into the U.S. in 2022 because we didn't have the space to keep him. I think there will be, you know, specific people who have benefited from the core planks of the Inflation Reduction Act, for instance, um, talk about prescription drug prices. Um, but I think reproductive rights is definitely going to be a huge focal point um, of who is there. So kind of and I mentioned a second ago that I wanted to get back to the reactions, because I, that's the other thing I kind of like to watch for is, you know, obviously the the Democrats are going to be on their feet cheering and clapping and, and whatnot, I'm sure, whenever there's a point made. Is it? Is it possible at all that everybody would clap at anything all at once? It's tough because even if it's one of those olive branch things where it's clearly something that's going out to Republicans, then left wingers <laughs> get really upset about it. Um, so I don't know. And I don't know if Biden has ever had one. Has he? I, 
<laughs> I don't know. Like I mean, a general these, happy moment. These days, the the idea of getting red and blue to all clap at the same thing yeah. is it sounds like quite that. the goal. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I, I, th- I always like to to see how how the other side is going to react whenever. Uh, you know, like I said, a point is made and, you know, it's there's usually a, it's usually a study in opposites. But who knows? Who knows? He might might pull it off this time. Is there anything else about the State of the Union that just casual viewers may not realize or know about that you find interesting about watching this? What do you watch for? Um, I do watch for the reactions because, like you, it's also just a lot of fun. Uh, to see the sour pusses and the really happy folks. Um, I like watching the Supreme Court justices to see if they ever break character um, for the ones who attend. Um, and I guess I doubt Clarence Thomas will come, but I feel like everyone else might, right? It's the usual. I feel like the new ones definitely want to go, mm-hmm. like Amy Coney Barrett and Brad Kavanaugh. Gorsuch feels like a middle termer to me at this point because he was the first appointee but he usually goes so maybe maybe it will be eight of nine um that turn up which is something um i find that interesting and then also how mike johnson will behave you know this is his first state of the union there's the famous uh clap the nancy pelosi yes back of donald trump's hand Mm -hmm. you know i don't think mike johnson has that in him (laughs) but uh those kinds of moments i think are really quite interesting um also you know i tend to pay attention to what kamala is doing and how in sync she is with the president a lot of the feelings about him um both positive and negative are rooted in emotions about Kamala. Uh, So I think in that way, she's quite an important person for all of this. And then, of course, for your question, uh, a few moments ago, you know, who the guests are, what representatives or people they came with, um, you know, that kind of stuff is always interesting and to learn about the stories, you know, because some of them you'll know because it'll have been a huge story, but some of them are, you know, the small business owner, right? in X place that was able to get their student debt forgiven. That's another thing I should have said. I think the student debt relief um, will also be a focal point of all of this. And of course, there will be the Republican. Uh, it's not called the rebuttal. No, no it's, it's it's from it's, the Republican side on that. Yeah, oh no, 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 no claps from that. But they, they're going to have a they'll have a speech afterwards to kind of. Uh, yeah, Katie Britt. Yes, uh, yes, is doing it, which is a big deal. You know, she's new. Um, And also all eyes on Alabama about the IVF decision. Um, So I think it is interesting that they chose her for this. She's definitely, you know, a star in the making, but uh, it does draw attention, at least commentary wise, to one of the biggest kind of cudgels around Republicans necks at this point, which is what's going on with Dobbs and now shifting that over to are all of these embryos and freezers all over the country going to be at risk. Thank you so much, Jessica. It's been really nice to talk to you today. I appreciate nice your to talk to you your too. Time. Thanks Thank you. for uh, having me. That'll do it for this edition of the Fox News Rundown from Washington podcast. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown, Mike Emanuel talks to Alaskan Republican Senator Dan Sullivan about the latest threats from Russia, the ongoing debate over Ukraine military funding, and who could replace Mitch McConnell as Senate Minority Leader.
Also, Fox News contributor and former White House Deputy Chief of Staff Carl Rove looks at the political career of Grover Cleveland, the former president who did what former President Donald Trump is trying to do, regaining the presidency four years after losing a presidential election. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Tanya J. Powers from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.